I'm Matthias Spiegel. And I'm Ronald Donaldson. And welcome to a post-mortem episode of... But That's a Different Story. Where we bring you stories so spine-stiffening, you'd think your body was ripe with rigor mortis. Speaking of ripe, when was the last time you took a shower, Ronald? The stench is so thick in here, it could have its own YouTube twerking channel. I have to say, it's been a few days. They started shutting off the water to the industrial sink in the Filipino restaurant that I sneak into each night to bathe. But there's something deathly worse emanating from your side of the studio. Deathly is a good descriptor in this case, as my afterlife aroma has been following me around ever since we started working on our upcoming story. Well, don't hold me in suspense. Usually when someone is waiting on you, the go-to response is to say, don't hold your breath. But with the funk building up in this room, and I don't mean my photo from the time I stayed in George Clinton's groovy guest house, I might suggest that you do. Oh god, I can't even see anymore. Matthias, are you still there? It's me, Ronald! Before we pass out from the fumes, let's introduce today's story, Death, Death Wishes. Wishes. Yeah, this looks like the place, all right. Harry Figiola, a 58-year-old hardware store owner, walks through the basement entrance of the taxidermatologist, combination dermatologist office and taxidermy depot, one chilly February morning, his eyes wide with excitement and a small amount of fear. My buddy Carl, who works as a back-scratcher tester, put me onto this joint recently. Said he's been coming here to get his shoulder blade calluses sanded down for the past few years. My choices are kind of limited, on account I'm not an incredibly online kind of person. And from what I hear, taxidermy isn't so common a practice here in the city these days. Harry is not a hunter, nor does he own any pets. But after the recent loss of his wife due to an extreme Chris Angel illusion gone terribly wrong, he's been thinking about his own mortality a lot lately. I suppose seeing the love of your life turned completely inside out like she was a meat sock being peeled off of a sweaty foot, well, it kind of changes your perspective on things. And with the dough I got from the settlement, me and the boys are pretty much set for life. But that doesn't mean I want them growing up, never knowing the sweet satisfaction of working a thankless retail job for minimum wage with little hope of upwards mobility. I gotta think about their future as men, not just their future as inheritors of some mind freak's legally forfeited fortune of cold hard cash and studded leather bracelets. Skip and Terry Figiola both work part-time after school at their dad's hardware shop, stocking shelves and testing the power tools on their effectiveness in destroying various stolen items of school property. Both were unavailable to be interviewed for this story, as they were currently being held in an experimental in-school suspension program testing the benefits of sensory deprivation on troubled teens. So when I go, I don't want to be put in the ground like the third prawn on the power cord of a Black & Decker 3.4 amp-powered handsaw. Just because I'm dead doesn't mean I gotta stop working the grind like some kind of broken 4.5 inch 6 amp angle grinder. So I decided to set aside some of the settlement money to take care of myself when I'm gone. And it all starts here. The taxidermatologist is a long-standing underground New York City institution providing high-quality skin treatment for humans and top-notch taxidermy for members of the animal kingdom. Seldom do the two types of clients switch services, but it was Harry's special request to make just that happen. Now I heard about fellas getting stuffed and propped up for their funerals, 
playing Nintendos or wasting the precious time sitting in a boat casting out a fishing line, but that's not for me. I don't think I could let the time pass me by like that even after I'm dead. That's why I want to be an unliving mannequin from my hardware store. Much like the preserved frozen corpses which decorated the window displays of the Cadbury Cousins department store in the late 1800s, Harry's wish is to be turned into a prop to be set up in the front window of his aptly named hardware store, Harry and Sons Hardware Heaven. You know, I never liked the Beatles, too punny of a name, but I always admired that Lennon guy's style. Once I heard about his lifeless corpse being set up in that glass case in Russia for the world to gawk at, I knew that I wanted to do the same thing, but Emerald style and kick it up a notch or two. Once my body's in the window display, they can set me up doing all kinds of fun things, like hammering a nail into my own coffin, or, for Halloween, putting the finishing touches on a gallows as I hang from it. I've even worked out some long-term deals with my best vendors who love the idea of my body proudly displaying the latest in their Black & Decker various amperage hardware selection. I built my life around this hardware store, and I'm sure as hell is coming to get me, not gonna let a little thing like leaving this wooden, handmade, mortal plane take me away from it. The specifics for Harry's request are a first for the folks at the taxidermatologist. Firstly, the taxidermy process does not usually account for the Gumby and Pokey-like posing of its recipients afterwards. Secondly, the preservation of a human body poses many difficulties in comparison to their usual city-dwelling subjects, such as rats, marmosets, and the occasional pet raccoon. Thirdly, this is technically a legal gray area, which Harry doesn't think will be a problem. My cousin's second ex-wife works a fancy government job over at the DMV, so I'm pretty sure I can get her to pull some strings for me. Much like a living marionette, but, you know, dead. Whatever the outcome, Harry's unique departing wish is not the only unusual request for end-of-life arrangements that we found in the city. There are many government jobs to be found in New York City, but you would be hard-pressed to find any so important as the 34th District Zoning Director, Regina Stillwater, insists that hers is. I don't care if the offer is 200 beef and cheddars. Arby's isn't getting the spot on 259th Street unless I get a lifetime supply of horsey sauce, and that's final. These ham hock hustlers think they can get whatever they want just because I'm president of the American Northeast Division of their fan club, the Arbolites. Anyway, I'm a very busy woman, so let's get down to it. Perched atop the second story of the illustrious Hudson River Fish Gutting and City Business Center sits Regina's corner office. Unfortunately, the usual benefits of a corner office aren't available for Regina, as all of her windows have had to be completely bricked over in order to maintain the structural integrity of the historic building. She doesn't let her high status get to her head, though. She graciously carves out an entire work week and a half to take me to Guano Park for a couple of hours to discuss her earthly going-away party. My great-aunt Eugenia would take me to this park all the time when I was a kid. She said her great-aunt Georgina would do the same for her when she was just a little girl. In fact, it was at this very park that she lost her virginity, got married, and conceived her second child all within the course of a single year. We continue to walk through the park, which is not so much of a park as it is an oversized median below an overpass and between two expressways. 
I asked Regina if the park had seen better days before the intense urbanization of the area, to which she stared at me quizzically and informed me that due to her efforts to maintain and improve the area for the past decade, the park has seen a drop in mugging of over 1.5%. She also informed me of an increase in natural wildlife in the area, which is evident from the hundreds of flattened rat carcasses paving the expressways on either side of us. It came as no surprise to us after Eugenia passed that her will stipulated her ashes be strewn across the ruptured septic line where she had her first kiss. To be honest, I never did like my great aunt though after she criticized my boar tendant ceviche one Columbus Day family dinner and I had to fight tooth and nail to keep her filthy ashes out of my childhood park. Eventually, I had to resort to some good old-fashioned trickery by switching out the contents of her urn with my cigar ash bucket before spreading and flushing her remains down to the sewer where they belong. Infuriatingly enough, due to the ruptured sewage line in the park, she most likely ended up right back here where she wanted. Regina has had a grand plan for her personal posthumous posting since she was a bright-eyed student of city planning at the University of Missoula Online. In fact, she used her degree to get her to a position in the government which grants her authority to this very spot where she plans to bring her idea to fruition. I may have only interacted with Eugenia a handful of times through her short, pitiful life, but I never did forgive her. That's why when I die, I plan for my body to be completely encased in her favorite metal, bronze and put on glorious display holding my delicious boar tendon ceviche right here next to the dying bushes that intoxicated passers-by hide behind to urinate. Also, I'll save lots of time in the afterlife not having to go to the tanning salon with that choice of metal, so I suppose Eugenia was right about some things. With no children or extended family of her own left, this final act of triumph against a distant relative will surely cement Regina's petty victory in her afterlife, which she has chosen to be her lasting legacy. But as we hear from our next story, many people choose passion over pettiness when planning for their post-life projects. Alright, well, I've got a list here of some things that I think I'll need on the hike. Probably at least, like, ten Powerades, a couple dozen power bars, a DVD of my favorite movie, Austin Powers Goldmember, and a portable DVD player with plenty of extra power cells. I've already got a winter coat and like four pairs of socks, so I think I'm good as far as clothing goes. I'm sure I can get most of this stuff once I get to, you know, where, where is it again? Oh yeah, China. Ozzy Gladstone is preparing for, perhaps, the most daring mission of his entire 32 years on this planet. Never one to skip the details, he is on high alert as he scans local dick sporting goods for items that may aid him in his journey. <laughs> Check out these goggles. Hey, look, I'm in Power Man 5000. <laughs> uh, hey, how much of this stuff are you guys funding again? Uh, none of it. Ah, oh, bummer. Oh well. I probably don't need these anyway, then. My contacts should be enough to keep my eyes protected. Like little glass Captain America shields. Anyway, we should probably look for, like, uh, a beer cooler or something to dump all the ashes and miscellaneous parts in. I I'm hoping they'll be pretty brittle and just snap off like the crowd after one of my slam poetry readings. In the year 1889, Oswald Gladstone embarked on a quest to scale the highest of all the mountains in the world, 
the beast of the east, Everest. His efforts were for naught, though, as after reaching only 100 meters into his nearly 9,000 meter ascent, he was struck by a stray bolt of lightning from a nearby thunderstorm and instantly perished. Now, his great-great-grandson is preparing to finish what he started. I mean, from what I heard, my great-great-granddaddy was kind of a badass. So much so that every one of his prodigy were named after him, all the way down to me, his little wicked fire starter. It was my dad's dying wish that I finish what Triple G Oswald set out to do back in, like, the Depression times or whatever. Following original Oswald's demise, his son, Oswald Jr., set out to retrieve the charred remains of the body of his father to return back to his home in Ithaca, New York. However, shortly after scooping up the sludge-like remains of his father, he was stricken with an urge of familial machismo duty and decided to continue the ascent without any preparation or guidance. Yeah, Oswald Jr. I think only made it up about 200 meters more before he ran out of pheasant jerky and starved to death. Speaking of which, do you know where they keep the Slim Jims here? Pile 9 next to the protein jello! Oswald Jr.'s frozen body remained on the mountain with his father's ashy sludge for several years until his own son, Oswald III, learned about his shameful demise. His own mother, in an effort to protect him, had kept the specifics of Oswald Jr.'s death a secret from him for many years, but during one drunken President's Day party, a distant cousin revealed the entire story to him. I guess after finally finding out about his dad, Oswald times three freaked out and used his family's life savings to fund an expedition to get back both the bodies. Well, the one body and the ashy sludge. He kind of decided to do that the very night he found out about it, though, and he was basically blacked out from all the presidential punch they were serving. So before he could remember making the plans, he was already on his way up the mountain, leaving his wife and newborn son, my dad, behind. Amazingly, Oswald III was able to retrieve both bodies, but he had forgotten his bifocals on the plane ride to the mountain and got turned around shortly after, actually ascending 500 more meters in the wrong direction towards the top, and eventually died in a freak water boiling accident. So time goes on, you know, and my dad eventually hits it big in the stock market. He always knew that soup broth was here to stay, so he started boiling down every kind of food he could think of. I'm talking cows, beef, even hamburgers. Pretty soon, he'd even cornered the whole corned beef market and made a pretty good name for himself. Adventure was never his thing, so he was never too interested in the radical legacy of Oswald's past. But I guess you get to a certain age and things change. Oz Gladstone, son of Oswald III, fearing his ancestor's legacy of failure, used his financial wealth to charter a helicopter to collect his forefathers and fly them to the top of Mount Everest, where they could rest and finally be at peace together at the mountain's peak. One thing about my dad, though, he was always looking for a deal. He had everything lined up with that helicopter, but some new and cheaper hotshot part due would keep coming in and undercutting the pilot before them. Eventually, he ended up with some unlicensed guy who had scored some rinky-dick chopper at an estate sale who said he'd do it for the gram, no payment needed. Everyone was surprised when he actually got all the bodies up into the helicopter. Unfortunately, on the way up to deliver the bodies to the peak of the mountain, the pilot decided to livestream their flight and lost control of the aircraft while selecting the perfect filter and playlist to commemorate the moment, and crashed into the mountain only 800 meters from the top. 
So now I've got four generations of Gladstone dads with no headstones up on that mountain. My mom's been on my case constantly about not having any drive in life, completely disregarding my bitchin' 07 Ford Escort custom convertible. And after my dad's explosion into the afterlife, she totally lost it. So I got to thinking, why don't I finally fulfill my family legacy and my dad's dying wish and get all those corpses and ashes to the top once and for all? And I'm going to do it the right way, starting from the bottom with plenty of preparation. Besides, I've got the one thing that none of the other Oswalds had. Literally nothing to lose, except the Ford Escort. Ozzy is scheduled to leave for China in approximately 38 hours and, to my knowledge, has not gone for as much as a leisurely hike in his entire adult life. However, this does not seem to damper Ozzy's unflappable and lackadaisical spirit in the slightest. And we can only hope that he is not inadvertently making plans for his own death ceremony, but rather helping his forefathers in completing theirs. Wow, who knew that there were so many options for post-life preservation to choose from in this day and age? As humans, it's important for us to maintain a presence in the lives of our loved ones once we are no longer around to forcefully interject ourselves into the lives of our otherwise ambivalent family. Those who move on unexpectedly are not burdened with the idea that they did not make a big enough impact with their lives while they were still a member of the living society. As we grow older, many of us feel that we may leave no lasting impression after we die, so we devise strategies to make a physical impression on the earth where we may feel we failed to leave an emotional one. Be it leaving your body to physically watch over your prodigy, encasing yourself in a semi-precious metal on a highway medium to vindicate a perhaps ill-prepared meal, or potentially becoming a human popsicle to finally prove that you can follow through with something, we all want to be remembered on our own terms. Peachy. So, Matthias, how do you want your body to be handled post-mortem? I'm glad you asked, Ronald. I've actually been working on a story with the National Institute of the Slippery Slope to have my mind uploaded to the cloud, where I can continue to report on different stories well into the guaranteed dystopian future. How about yourself? I've decided to donate my body to science. The biology teacher at PS269 offered me $50 to sign over my death rights to him. Although I am slightly suspicious because I recently found out he's currently on administrative leave as well as parole for performing the classic drop an egg from the top of the roof test with live iguanas. But that's a different story. story.